ruby red wine in cloudy green absinthe, which is a great way to get the party started. <laughs> That's not a great way to get the party started. That's a fantastic way to get the party ended. I thought, if that's it, if that's where we leave Bailey, I'm I'm going to be absolutely furious. <laughs> <laughs> there must be more to it than that, surely. People are dying. People are being sent insane. And his response to that is, yeah, spices it up a bit. Spices yeah. it up a bit? Are you yeah. tapped? Hello and welcome to Shark Liver Oil. I'm Matt. And I'm Dave, hello. And it's time for our second part. No, hang on a minute. <laughs> wait, wait. Come on. Leave it in. Keep it recording. <laughs> and it's time for our third part of yes. the Night Circus. Uh, today we're looking at part three, which is called Intersections. Mm. Intersections, Dave. I... This is where things come together. <laughs> or split Are apart. We... I was going to say, are we overselling this particular section of the book? Because it is part three of five. Yeah. Is this where everything comes together? We're we about to see. find out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So uh, the first thing is this, uh, another part of the uh, part of the circus, one of, another first person perspective. You know, we're walking around the circus and we see these two statues called the Lovers. Um, which are these two sort of people who are sort of they're just standing as statues and moving very, very slowly. Mm. Um, and if you stand and watch them for long enough, you'll notice that there's some movement. Probably not the sort of highest adrenaline activity you could you know, do <laughs> in the circus. It's all thrills at the night circus. <laughs> but it's kind of a cool idea again. We move on to the uh, it's another soiree. Chandresh is a man who likes to throw a party. There's, there's no doubt about that. But this is a big yeah. one because it's the 13th anniversary. Um, obviously, the Night Circus isn't your usual place, so it doesn't celebrate 10 years. It celebrates 13 years. Um, and actually, the it does sound like our kind of place and our kind of party day. There's ruby red wine and cloudy green absinthe, which is a great way to get the party started. <laughs> that's, that's, that's not a great way to get the party started. That's a fantastic way to get the party ended yeah, quickly. Yeah, good point. I'm I'm reminded I'm reminded of uh, um, an alcoholic drink that was marketed once when we were at uni called um, the Hell Shot, which was just they just ended your evening. You drank yeah. one and you would eventually it was in fact outlawed, which is hilarious. Like this specific drink, outlawed. It was outlawed. They outlawed it. They mm. um, the city of York Council were like, we're taking away your license if you carry on selling that. And how, what was it? How much proof was it? What was? Why was it, it was, so bad? It was a mix of a vodka that was a. Well, I, I don't know proof, but the vodka was eighty percent volume, and right. um, the absinthe was seventy five percent volume or something. So it's pretty much turpentine with extra hallucinogens in it. Yeah, that sounds like kind of kind of drinking the uh, the hand wash stuff that you get in hospitals, which is like almost one hundred percent alcohol. Yeah, it, it was. In fairness, unlikely to kill you by bacterial infection yeah very likely to kill you by alcohol poisoning but yeah you know hmm. can't fight city hall anyway yeah this is by the by yeah well um so there's a at this party there's a sort of clandestine meeting between marco and celia um and, and marco also t- tells uh a h or the uh the, the man in the gray suit that he's in love with celia and uh, the reaction from the guy in the grey suit is is genuine sadness, it seems. Um, 
because he says it's going to make it harder in the end. And he also tells Marco that the, the last challenge lasted 37 years. Um, so it's it's yeah. quite a it's, it's quite a downbeat moment, and actually, it shows that a a h is actually uh, does have some feelings. Yeah, although I wonder whether he feels sad or sorry for Marco, or if he just feels sorry because it's like, oh, this isn't going to be very entertaining at all. Like maybe he's maybe he's not mm. openly sadistic, and doesn't actually enjoy the pain of other people. Although that does beg the question as to why he set up such a monstrous competition. I do think but, compared to Prospero, he's more humane, but then you are comparing him to an absolute yeah, monster there, right? Yeah, that's very true. That's, yeah, yeah. I, I would hope to be more humane than Prospero in the same way as I would hope to be more alive than Catherine the Great. That's by yeah. way of being like, I'm not really too impressed if I've managed to achieve that standard. Yeah. Uh, next up in this chapter, there's the, you know, the classic romantic scene where where he walks into the, the main ballroom and kisses Celia in front of everybody. Um, yeah. He actually walks past Isabel um, on his way to do this, who's heard the entire conversation with A.H., which uh, hasn't, surely hasn't gone down particularly well. He's such a tool. Yeah. Honestly, I mean, like, would it kill you to have a conversation with the girl you're going out with and who has sacrificed her life in order to help you win a contest? Hmm. Would it kill you to just be like, give me a sec, Isabel, it's not working. Yeah. Now, Celia, where you at? You know, it would still be heartless, but it wouldn't be quite as heartless as altering everybody's reality in the room and striding <laughs> over and kissing the girl. Yeah, well, this is what I was going to say. The, the On one hand, it is the classic romantic scene, and on the other, you can see an undertone which is a little bit more sinister, that mm. it, just with just with the casualness, which mm. uh, Marco just completely manipulates everybody in the room um, to, to yeah. misdirect them. Uh, it's just it's just second nature to him almost. Yeah, and and uh, you know, on the one hand, you know, can you give him too hard a time for that? You know, he's he was a spectacularly neglected orphan child and so on. At mm. the same time, what on a, what a knob! I know I'm supposed to be mm. pulling for this guy. I know I'm supposed to be happy that he's he's you know finally expressing his desire for the object of his affection. Thirteen years in the making, and I don't care. He's a twat. I don't want him to get together with the girl he loves. <laughs> you know oh, what I mean? I I was a bit softer actually. I thought that was quite a, quite. A, I like, oh, that's a good. It's a good. It's a good sort of classic romance scene. Oh, um, I dare say, Matt. I dare say it's a good classic romance scene. So we move across uh, some, uh, a chapter called Bedtime Stories, which uh, we see another tent where there's the sort of memories in jars, and you sort of mm. you open a jar and have a smell, and you you almost get someone's memory in your head, someone else's memory. It's quite a cool yeah. idea. Um, yeah. And then, we, and then we go to bookkeeping, which is this is Chandresh. Uh, you can see is going a bit mad. Is is another character yeah. associated with the circus who is being negatively affected mentally by what's going on? Yeah, um, yeah. And, and compared to this uh, flamboyant, uh, confident, uh, visionary character that we saw at the start, he's he's changed now to the extent that. He just seems like a guy on the edge of his his sanity. Yeah, and, he's a uh, ghost. Yeah, he, he ransacks Marco's office and yeah. finds this this mental book with the tree drawings and and it gets it's even more weird because there's bits of hair and there's signatures lots stuck of in everybody's it. hair. <laughs> I want to know how you got the last few bits in that. You know, you start off and you're like, oh, would you mind just just sign, give me your autograph? And oh, a bit weird. 
lock of your hair. Great. <laughs> Cheers. Yeah, nice one. Yeah. But then when you when you've got a book full of that stuff, the last two people you're like, um, could, don't look at the earlier pages. Um, just <laughs> just sign. Uh, and can I have a, some of your hair? <laughs> yeah. Cheers. Thanks. That's that is creepy. Right. If these people did not at this point realise, well, I suppose I was going to say they, you know, they deserve what they get, but they don't because Marco again is just changing their changing their world. Yeah. I mean, uh, Chandresh. Marco comes back and catches Chandresh in the act of he's basically smashed open his desk and found this book, and um, and Chandresh's reaction is is anger. I think mine would just be, especially if you were um, you'd been made to be infatuated with this guy, would just yeah. be um, kind of Marco. It's really weird. It's, <laughs> it's, it's not normal. <laughs> <laughs> but, would, you, yeah, would yeah. you try an intervention there like you take, <laughs> yeah. take them to magicians anonymous <laughs> yeah i think you'd need to but shannon yeah. is just pissed off he's um yeah. he's furious about this being kept from him and yeah. uh in the same way that the man in the gray suit um his his you know marco's mentor managed to misdirect uh tara tara yeah uh marco does the, the exact same thing with chandra she makes him almost forget what's happened and yeah. uh, you know, it starts manipulating. And you can tell he's done this to Chandresh before, because Chandresh says, "I'm not going to let you do this to me again." So there's yeah. always there must be a residue when you are yeah. manipulated like this, where you realise that it has happened to you on some level. Yeah. You realise yeah. it. Yeah. yeah, and I, to be honest with you, it's straightforwardly creepy, isn't it? Like you know, this this notion, it just it's it's a violation, is what it is. You know, and and again, it just makes it so much more difficult for me to see Marco as anything other than just a horrible, horrible character. Hmm. Um, and which is quite a trick for somebody who's carefully sketched as quite, an, you know, he's quite character-free in a way. You just kind hmm. of see what he's like by his effect on everybody else, by yeah. the fact that he kind of lies to slash manipulates slash, you know, whatever it may be. Um, all of these characters, including. Chandresh, and it's quite mm. a fault for Chandresh, isn't it? He goes from yeah. this kind of, you know, you, you can see him, can't you? Big bellied, like really great knife throwing guy of the circus, like a proper Svengali, you know, mm. um, to this sad character smashing up his assistant's place and losing his thread on sanity, losing all his creativity. Yeah, um, it's really dark. Speaking of bad eggs, at the end of this, um, Prospero um, appears, and he's sort of has a little <laughs> chat with Chandresh and you know Flying that no, nothing fire. good's going to come of this. <laughs> yeah. uh, you yeah. imagine, you've, you've had this experience where the, where this horrible character, Marco, has altered your reality and totally manipulated your mind, um, utterly violated your consciousness and then somebody turns up to fucking do it again <laughs> in one evening. Yeah. No one is going crazy, is it? Okay, uh, Cups of Tea, the next chapter. Um yeah. This is basically Liani picking up where uh, where her sister left off and starting a bit of an investigation of her own, but she's not quite as um, not quite as forensic as, as Tara was. Although she, she she pulls out a couple of bits and pieces and she fits a few of the pieces together, and in the end has this. It's a selection of meetings with cups of tea, very English, Ooh. and she finally um, <laughs> and ends up meeting uh, Celia and talking about you know the story behind the story as we know it and yeah. the only thing i wanted to highlight with this is how she uh by way of demonstrating um how celia and marco and other people aren't con- entirely in control of the situation and can't protect everybody 
she just drops her teacup instead of drinking from it and it shatters yeah. and uh and celia doesn't stop it in time and she's yeah. kind of making a point that um you know yeah. uh you you don't really have a full grasp of this power that you're holding over everybody Kind of makes sense. I mean, again, I was kind of hurting for a bit more exposition here. I think possibly I'm just a very lazy audience. Um, but, you know, that's that's the kind of message that came through when I thought about it after the fact. When I was reading it, I was just like, I don't really understand the nature of the power that Celia and Marco are supposed to have over this circus mm. and what they're, you know, is it structurally holding it together? It's magically, you know, like, it, you know, like, the are they, is it that they're coming up with a new act or what? But, yeah. Um, but, you know, all of that aside, this particular scene I really love because you do have Lainey kind of just not taking any shit, which is which is quite a thing in a kind of magically manipulated environment and kind of relationship that's come to define you over the last mm. 13 years to, to be the sort of no-nonsense. This is a teacup. Can you stop it from breaking? Smash. <laughs> I thought not. Um, yeah. We move on to the chapter called Stormy Seas. This is another one where Celia and Marco spend a bit of time together and they do a bit of... Uh, th- th- there, are, there are a few different places that they visit as illusions, one of them being this like this boat made out entirely out of uh, like paper, which sounds really, sounds really cool. And um, the, the, the key uh, part of this chapter is how they talk about running away um, mm. and just leaving all this behind and as soon as they try to think about it they have this immense pain this blinding pain which mm. shows that they are actually trapped in this competition there's no way they can leave because up until this point we we've said ourselves you know why don't they just walk away but yeah. um this is just you know filling in that mm. filling in that hole i suppose saying you know they can't leave and making it very clear very true and um and I think that was necessary from a writer's perspective, because. But I, and even so, you've not bothered, you've you've not bothered to really say that for the first two thirds of the book. Mm. Um, so I've been. I I was kind of again. This is one of the questions that really pissed me off throughout to this point. I was like, just leave. Yeah. Like, why are you still here? Why is this something that compels you? Why do you like this? Yeah. Um, I... And and again, why is there not? I, I mean, and this really pissed me off. Why am I not seeing more angry rejection? of this task yeah. which particularly at this point you you kind of they're starting to get a sense that that they are in love and that they are obliged to compete with each other until who knows when and yeah. that there is more and more strain on their abilities and their powers and so on um yeah and and even before you it became clear that you were physically incapable of leaving this environment like why why are you not more angry about this yeah, oh, well. and I, I thought structurally, um, reading this bit, it was good to get a, a grounding as to why they can't walk away, but yeah. why didn't we hear about this earlier? Because it would have knocked out a lot of the problems I had with with the whole structure of uh, of why these people were still doing what they were doing. Um, yeah. But may, may, maybe this is because it's the first point where they actually do genuinely want to leave. So The next chapter, an entreaty. Um, we're fast-forwarding to Baileyville again. And, oh, uh, Good old interesting Baileyville, yeah, which, which this, is always easy to understand. This is where Poppet uh, visits Bailey on his farm as he's mm. screwing around trying to get the sheep to do what he wants. It's not as perverse whoa, as that whoa. sounded. Do you want to do you want to put that a different way, perhaps? <laughs> no, I'm going to keep it like that. Um, <laughs> but she she basically asks him to run away and join the circus. 
Mm. And he decides to have a bit of a think about it. And Mm. we are left wondering... We're left wondering why is this important? Yeah, (laughs) that's exactly it. Like, of of all the opaque, poorly explained plot moments, this is the capo de tutti crappy. I was just so confused as to why this why this matters. She's like, I've kind of seen, I don't really know why, but uh, you have to come because of a dynamic that makes the circus be what it is, which has never really been explained, but and I can't really explain it now, even though this would be a great opportunity for me to do so. Um, and you should just come, even though you've got nothing really to do with the circus and you're just one of the dreamers who really likes the place and there's no real reason why that should matter in the slightest. And um, Anyway, come, leave your family. Tick. Yeah, yeah, D- David. If 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 this bit has annoyed you, then yeah. the next chapter, invitation, where Celia turns oh, up Matt. at uh, at the Grey Man's oh, hotel and has a conversation which we aren't privy to. <laughs> this th- this was the moment where I think maybe from from your reaction to the last chapter, this may that may have been the moment for you. But this is the moment for me where oh, my really? kind of my kind of patience with not knowing very much kind of broke and i just thought oh just you've <laughs> got to give me a bit more here because yeah. it's beginning to get tiresome um having to try and fit all these different pieces together i think yeah. everybody reading it will have had a different breaking point and some people would have been <laughs> quite happy to go through the book but this was mine i just thought oh, for, just 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 give just, me some more explanation yeah. please just just it's not even like you kind of lead me through the plot by the hand at this point, I'm just begging to be assured that there is a plot. Now, maybe Erin Morgenstern's a little bit aware that patients might be wearing thin at this point, because this is now where the, the plot speeds up a bit and, and things start to happen a bit more quickly. Um, intersection the people one, rejoiced. Yeah. The, the chapter called Intersection 1, Drop of a Hat, this is where Marco finally does end it officially with Isabel, although mm. it's not really been anything but ended for a while, it seems. Um, and Isabel's the sort of classic jilted lover and um, this uh, tragic figure, and she tears up this this bowler hat stroke sort of ribboned thing that she's made, which is somehow kept... Is is almost acted as the glue holding the whole circus project together, and mm. she, um, in in a fairly understandable um, moment of of just hopelessness, helplessness, and and, and misery, just yeah. tears it all up. In the next chapter, Scarlet Furies and Red Destinies, Chandresh, clearly now unhinged, has decided to try to assassinate uh, the man in the grey suits. Um, his his obviously weapon of choice is the throwing knife, seeing as we've seen earlier on that he is quite handy with it. Yeah. And uh, the as he is attempting this assassination, again we get this sense of the interconnected uh, lives of everybody involved here, as the entire circus kind of jars as he tries mm-hmm. to do it. Um, there's a trapeze artist who nearly falls, and yeah. you get the feeling of the entire the entire circus just going mm-hmm. like a like a. In a song like just a bum note's been hit, yeah. and I thought that was, I thought that was br- a really good uh, image. I was really impressed with yeah. that, and yeah. it, and it really it, it really hit hit a note with me. Yeah. Obviously, um, Chandresh's attempted assassination fails. The grey man steps out of the way at the last minute as the knife's coming towards him, and it it hits poor uh, poor Herthiessen who um who gets a, a knife yeah. in the chest and and dies. Yeah, well, not a dreamer anymore, is he? 
<laughs> no, he's not. Sorry, was I supposed to be more humane about that moment? Yeah, um, I thought no, actually, actually, actually that, that's him. not that's not fair. Like, I, I quite like this character. I think he was quite innocent, and obviously skillful man who who had really found something in life to love. Yeah. Um. So you know, fair enough. But yeah, I was kind of I was still quite tenuously connected with the characters at this point after my deep frustration in the last couple of chapters. So yeah, it didn't really hit me as deeply as it, I wanted it to. I thought the the shrugging shoulders reaction of all the people who went to the circus, assuming that it was just some kind of trick, yeah. was um, was obviously the, the the line between reality and um, and illusion is very blurred here to a, a larger extent than in any other normal circus or any yeah. other normal yeah. magic show. But still, I thought surely some people would realise the difference between it, you know, a, a real death and. No, maybe well, not. Maybe, maybe. No, do you know what though? I was actually reminded in this of um, once upon a time in another life. I um, some friends and I took a show to the Edinburgh Fringe, and I was out one day on the Royal Mile, which is sort of the, the main drag and is filled with people in various costumes and various performing bits and anything to catch people's eye and convince mm. people that your show might be quite interesting. And uh, a guy fell to the floor and started having a fit. And for a couple of seconds, everybody, including me, were just frozen because it was like, is this one of the performers? Yeah. And there was there was just that, that kind of couple second period where you're like, is he, you know, is he doing a particularly modernist rendition of something? It's, it's messed up. And then, yeah. of course, it wasn't. And so you run over there and you call 999 and you, you know, sort yeah. of do, do all I the rest of it. But but actually, there is that when you've permissioned people to kind of suspend their disbelief, um, actually, that means that that they are a little bit necessarily disconnected from kind of human reactions and stuff. Do you remember the the wrestler um, in America who I think it was called Owen Hart, and he oh, died yeah. being lowered into a ring, and um, and he sort of he was being lowered yeah. into a ring, and then he then something went wrong, and it, and, and he died. But yeah. it, he sort of died to the sound of people cheering because they thought it was part of the act. So I suppose yeah. this is this isn't at all unusual to think that people would assume that it's it's sort of part of the show. Yeah, um, yeah. We move. We move into uh, another tent called. Uh, so we experience another tent, which is called the Pool of Tears, where you you basically throw a stone, which represents all your worries, into a mm. massive lake or a pool, and mm. uh, and you feel better. It's kind of a literal interpretation of something that people do uh, sometimes. Anyway, I've I've heard about yeah. this where you, you know you you. you you pretend that all your troubles are in a rock and you throw it away and it's supposed to make you feel better. And yeah. this is just a bit more of a literal version of it, I suppose. Um, yeah. Yeah. There's Farewell, uh, the next chapter where Bailey decides to um, to join the circus, but uh, by the time he gets to the, uh, the the area where it is, it's disappeared. So you think, he's screwed, wah, he's not wah, made it. Wah, wah. Yeah. Poor, poor Bailey. And you think, yeah. uh, that's a shame. Poor Bailey, he's, he's had... He's had tens and tens of pages to himself throughout this novel, waiting for something interesting to happen to him. Something yeah. interesting almost happened to him, and he missed the train. I've got to admit, I, I thought, if that's it, if that's where we leave Bailey, I'm I'm going to be absolutely furious. <laughs> <laughs> there must be more to it than that, surely. <laughs> that's yeah. very true. Like, yeah, so again, the, the emotional kind of oomph of that moment is taken out for me by the fact that, like, this is going to turn into something else. So when the, when the train's not there, I wasn't like, oh no, the train's gone, bereavement and loss. I was like, well, I wonder how this is going to get sorted out then. Yeah, you need to reduce, I think we both need to reduce the cynic level and up the wonder <laughs> level. But it's, you know, it's hard. We are who we are, aren't we, Dave? Absolutely. Um, cynics to the core. 
Yeah. The, the, the next chapter, Retrospect, is basically another chance for Prospero to show how much of a wanker he is. It's basically Prospero and, and the Grey Man uh, talking about um, what's been happening. And actually, the man in the grey suit is, is saying it's getting out of hand. And Prospero's response is, that's what makes it fun. Because uh, he has nothing but utter contempt for everybody else involved, doesn't he? Oh, yeah, what a tool. Honestly, <laughs> yeah. like people, people are dying. People are being sent insane, and his his approach, his response to that is, yeah, spices it up a bit. Spices yeah. it up a bit. Are you yeah. tapped? Like, <laughs> he's one of those people who enjoys being a horrible bastard, isn't he? Yeah. You can tell. Um, it it also raised the question for me um, because of the man in the grey suits misgivings. Do you think they actually could stop this if they wanted to now? Because I'm not so sure. Mm. And I, I I also read in a bit of Prospero's bravado, um, him similar to how he made himself invisible, trying to take ownership of something that he doesn't really have control over anymore. And I get yeah. the feeling that if if these two actually wanted to call it off, it might not be that easy. I think that's very plausible. Unfortunately, this is just one of the many things where I think if there had been slightly more plot in this i would have i would have been thinking that at this point i would have thought oh man this is you know like a sense of somebody's somebody's kind of whim creation of whim getting away from them and Mm. really starting to damage people i think is is quite um like i think i think scenes like that are quite powerful i quite like frankenstein um for for this reason as well the novel because it's because it is this kind of hubris um this idea of somebody somebody feeling considering themselves far more powerful and influential than they actually are having just enough power to do something stupid but not nearly enough power to bring it back in again we move to the final chapter in this part and it's called beautiful pain and, <laughs> and you think and... is this book about to go off the rails like is, mm. it, is it is it all about to go a bit 50 shades it's all about to get hot and heavy dave um, <laughs> Must we? C- C- celia <laughs> celia turns up at marco's flat and you know what's going to happen next. We're wearing wearing nothing but a comely dress, a smile of anticipation, and six <laughs> dudes behind her playing guitar. <laughs> yeah, that's appropriate. I you suppose know, you have to have this scene in the book, don't you? Even though, <laughs> even though I'm slightly more sympathetic towards Celia than towards Marco, but you know, this this is like. This, for me, this this was kind of like reading about um, Juan Marcos and Imelda Marcos getting it on, or Mr. <laughs> and Mrs. Mao Zedong. Like, I was just like, I, I really don't care about your happiness or sex lives. Oh, you see, I wasn't Karen. I wasn't that disconnected by this point. I thought, I mean, I wasn't, you know, clapping my hands going, oh, isn't it so beautiful? But it, it felt like um, a logical progression from from where these two characters have been in their, in their yeah. relationship and that Celia turns up all distraught about um, the fact that uh, Frederick the Essence died um, obviously she was very close to him she tried to she actually tried to bring him back to life and she couldn't do it and she's absolutely um, just in, in just the depths of despair when she turns up and obviously Marco offers a comfort and then it turns into something else. I thought it was quite a well handled uh, scene as well. Um, I, 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 I was... think that's true. I think I've, I've, I've kind of lit into this 
with both mm. barrels. But actually, I, like I think, I think you're right. I think it made sense in terms of the arc of the characters. I'm always quite impressed when an author can do a sex scene quite well without yeah. um, without having to either. It's so easy to fall into either the Mills and Boone style his throbbing <laughs> member, or just or just the quite you know like the, the opposite where you're so yeah. desperate to avoid that. It's just sort of vulgar paint by numbers. Like she grabbed yeah. his cock. Yeah, like, oh, like, God, wow, well, you've got romanticism down there, haven't you? But let's try for yeah. atmosphere. Yeah, um, but it was done. It, it was yeah. done. It was done. I thought it was done really well. Yeah, um, and I think there's no denying. I mean, I. For all that I am ragging on this book, like I think it's worth worth reiterating the fact. I think Erin Morgenstern is a spectacular writer. Like what she can do with a sentence is just mm. unbelievable. Like she's, she's incredible facility with language, and yeah. and this is one of the great examples of that. Um, yeah, yeah. Okay, so um, after um, after the uh, you know the morning after the night before, um, Celia gets up and takes. Oh, she she leaves her ring and she takes Marco's book. Yeah, she leaves this kind of. Uh, representative one as a kind of token and so on. So, yeah, and, and oh, sorry, takes I... the book. What's that about? Yeah, that's quite a good. That's a quite a good place to end it because you think, Ooh. absolutely. And, and I, this, I don't know about you. This made me think back to Widget's old story about the uh, the the magician uh, teaching his his tricks to the uh, to the beautiful young woman uh, who then uses them against him. Yeah. And I thought, oh, parallel. Oh, is this where it's going? Yeah, is it where it's going, Dave? I, well, I wouldn't, I wouldn't dream of saying that until we come to our coverage of parts four and five of the Night Circus by Erin Morgenstern next week. That sounds like a good point to stop. Just before we finish, as ever, we'll just do a quick shout out to say if you want to um, get in touch with us to let us know what you think about the Night Circus, we'd love to know what you think about it. You know, um, do you think this this love story works? Um, do you actually feel anything for the other characters associated with the circus? Because we have issues with that sometimes. And um, what do you think about the circus itself? What's your favourite tent? I'd like to know what people's favourite tent uh, is, actually. Yeah, I think that's a good question. Uh, maybe for the last one, we should try and work out which one ours is. And if we could visit yeah. one, which one we'd go to. Yeah, but yeah, yeah. That, that, that's something for another time. Yeah. But for now, Dave, let's, you know, close the night circus gates... Send uh, send the reverse or whatever they're called on the way with the little scarlet scarves and say, until next time. Until next time. 